Welcome to your Right to Speak discussions on social justice and advocacy. This is episode 36, and I'm your host, Salvatore. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Catherine Ellis Dobson, who is a friend and colleague of mine. Um, Catherine has is going to be talking about residential care system and program and she's going to probably talk about some of the gaps within the system i'm very excited to have Catherine on the show i know she's had a lot of experience and a lot of time in the field so uh i'm excited to get started Catherine, would you like to introduce yourself sure um i've worked in the field for many many years i was originally a child and youth worker graduate at Humber College. Um, and I've been in a variety of uh, different roles in my career. I worked for a few years with um, uh, dual diagnosed youth um, and their primary struggle was um, sex offenders in a residential program. I've done work with autistic youth and I also um, worked with uh, youth with autism that struggled with autism earlier earlier on. I now, I've been in my current role, I, I now work at a program called Arabon House. Um, I started here in 1992 as a um, frontline worker and I've been the assistant director for about 15 years, somewhere around there. Um, I also currently teach at uh, George Brown college yes well thanks for you know taking the time out to be on the show i'm very excited to have you on um we're just gonna do what i always do and just dive right into the questions for the listeners for the ones who don't really can get their grasp around what a residential or group home is can you explain what a group home or residential program is and what need it feeds for youth sure I guess primarily a residential um, group home um, is a safe place and it's a place for youth to heal from struggles they've experienced throughout their lives. I guess there's different types of residential um, treatment homes. Some are way more intensive um, and intrusive, um, structured, treatment focused, and some are even secure treatment versus they take the whole spectrum along to um, less intensive, less intrusive, more independent-based programs. Um, Primarily, youth, I think, are in enter into residential treatment because of family breakdown. Um, Majority of them, I'd say, have suffered from abuse, and um, also they struggle at times with mental health and addiction issues, or their parents or caregivers struggle with those uh, addiction or mental health issues. it seems quite, you know, sometimes their families still remain involved in their care, ideally, which would be the best situation. But quite often, especially when there's extreme conflict, uh, the parents just totally, unfortunately, sometimes um, disengage with their youth, with their children. It almost seems those youth with mental health issues, the parents remain more involved. Um, I guess ideally it keeps the young person from being homeless or putting them in situations where they're more at risk, um, such as things like trafficking, um, you know, because they have nowhere else to go and no means of supporting themselves. Uh, I guess residential treatment also um, helps them gain independent skills and life skills and, 
an another main um, component of any residential treatment program, I would hope, would be empowerment, that the youth leave feeling you know, better able to tackle life's um, issues. Um, and it really just helps them finish growing up. Like what youth who is um, in a so-called normal family is ready to leave home at 16 or 18. They, they aren't, you know, they just need that extra time to continue right. to grow up and become ready. So it sounds like one of the big things with any type of residential program is really, you know, offering youth, like you were saying, that safe space to kind of gain these skills mm -hmm. that they really need quite fast to, to learn and mm -hmm. to develop because chances are they're going to be living on their own um, for a majority of the youth. Mm -hmm. Residential treatment, like you're saying, you just mentioned, is often... It's supposed to be long-term, but it's not. You know, a lot of our youth come in at 17 and they have to leave um, by the time they're 18 or 19. Right. So what, like I said, what normal youth is ready at 18 or 19 to, to tackle the world? They're just not. It must be, you know, some of the challenges, you know, me working in a residential program is I often question how can we get youth to a space where they're able to live independently and it's a lot of you know hard work in a sense right do you what do you think about that like how do you think we can get youth to kind of or effective program to kind of allow youth to gain those squill, uh, squills, squills. squills. <laughs> <laughs> skills you know quite like immediately do you have any thoughts on that it's it's, it's hard because so many of them they're coming in at 17. If it's taking taken 17 years for them yeah. to get where they are, it's often they often have a lot of trauma, and, and extensive, extensive trauma, and to only have a year to develop those skills um, when so much damage has been done sometimes, and and they have to live with so many adversities. To it's it's almost impossible, and sometimes it, it's almost impossible to get them to get them to the point where they're ready to have all those skills when they leave. It's just it's not possible because of the trauma they've experienced, and sometimes, you know, you're still working on trust at the time of yeah. discharge. It sounds like you know, the youth in you know this you know in the residential care kind of need like. A CYW mentor in a sense for up until they hit 25 let's say so mm -hmm. like after they've transitioned out of you know residential care they're able to still have the supports they need to continue to build on those you know independent skills mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we are fortunate that we have a hope for youth program mm -hmm. as well which kind of gives them that continued support until they're 24 um, and we try to work closely with them in terms of treatment planning so that when the youth leave, they um, have someone that already knows their struggles and their strengths mm -hmm. and can build on those to continue, like you're saying, to continue their development. Is that something unique that is done here at Arbonne? Like, do you mm -hmm. know of any other residential? I think there may be a few that have an aftercare component to their program, but I'm not sure they have like three full-time aftercare workers, or I think we only have two, two full-time aftercare workers like we do. Because some, I'm not 100% sure, but I, I think it's not, um, it's not standard for all programs to have that. 
Which is a shame. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're kind of touching on one of the questions, and I'm so happy that we've naturally progressed into it, is, you know, kind of the gaps within the, you know, the residential care system and what you think you need needs to be changed. And you're touching upon some of the stuff, you know, like age, um, having mm-hmm. support once they've transitioned out. Um, is there anything else that you think needs to change within the system itself? Funding for sure. Um, our budget hasn't been increased well, actually, recently it just was a little bit, but we hadn't had an increase in many, many, many years, and um, not even cost of living. Like, how can, you're providing a home for these youth, which means you're also providing food and shelter and clothing and medical needs and all the things that a parent or caregiver would provide, and to not even get that cost of living increase is ridiculous. Just inflation-wise, mm-hmm. it's, it really puts a strain on your budget. Um, and, and there's a real gap for those transitional aged youth because, like I said, they come in so late, they haven't developed all the skills they need um, to live independently. They've barely started to develop therapeutic relationships. Then they have to leave by 19. And especially those youth that do struggle with mental health or live with mental health, um, they're not to find a program for them that continues with this intensity. It's almost like they need this type of intensive yet semi-independent like it's kind of that balance between the two all the time um they need this program after and they need it till they're 24 some Mm -hmm. of them they're even another year wouldn't be long enough you know and it would be perfect to be able to have this type of setting until they're 24 and to be creative with that setting you know to be able to give them as much independence as they can and let them try it out, but be there in their life space, Mm -hmm. which is also so unique to a residential environment. Mm -hmm. Kind of going back to your first question for a minute, (laughs) because you're in the life space and they can learn those skills in a trusting, safe um, environment. And And as you get older, those skills get harder and harder and more complicated. And to just have that intensive um, support there that while they're trying out the skills to be able to come back home, like in a normal family or somewhere where you've got support without maybe all the intensive trauma baggage history that's all behind you that you carry with you every day, to be able to come back to that environment and say, this happened and just have someone to bounce it off of or someone to model right. what is appropriate or someone to check it out with them. And they just, they really need that. And, and some, there are, I mean, there is the adult mental health system but some of these, again, a lot of those settings, there's maybe staff there for eight hours a day. There isn't someone there for the full 24 hours. And it also forces our some of our youth who are 19 living with uh, women that are potentially 64 before they've yeah. gone into the um, you know senior kind right. of living environments. And that's not realistic either. No, it's not. And it sounds like, you know, this has been what I've seen in the gaps within the system, you know, changing the age, you know, for group homes and residential settings seems to be a long um, theme or not a long theme. It seems to be a theme in a lot of the advocates within the system that Mm -hmm. it needs to change. And, you know, for me, someone who has like that policy, public policy Uh background and that understanding of frontline, you know, I think 
I don't want to put my foot in my mouth, but I think, you know, the people making the policies and, you know, the rules that we have to follow, mm-hmm. I don't think fully grasp, you know, when you're 18 and boom, you have to live on your own. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. I think it's very hard to grasp when, until really, you know, you're working in the residential system or you're a youth from the residential system and really understands, you know, s- some of the struggle that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For me, you know, it was always, and I know we've had conversations about this, you know, having, how ideal would it be to have a full wraparound service where, you know, you transition into kind of like a middle point Mm -hmm. until you hit 25. Yes. Yeah. That to me, you know, I haven't heard a residential program who that has ever had something like that. And I think it would be great if the system could start moving towards that, having that kind of like middle ground that Mm -hmm. once you hit 18, 19 and you transition out of, you know, a group home, then you have this other space where you can still practice, you know, your independent living skills. Mm -hmm. You can concentrate on, you know, your therapeutic treatment. Um, and then be able to transition to another house that you're exactly. able to live yeah. fully independent, right? Like, it, I think what you're talking about is ideal because we have this program, we have Arabon House, and then we have our second stage house, which is Lanthier Place, and it's which is more independent, way less structured. Mm-hmm. You do have an on-site mentor, but they're not available for intensive support. You could go days without seeing the mentor uh, to have a ha- an in-between house, to have yeah. a house that takes pieces of both. Yeah. Um, that can support them. Well, hopefully government people are listening. <laughs> and, it, and it's ridiculous because it, it seems cross-sector is the problem. Yeah. Too. Like you, when you leave children and youth services, although who knows what will be under soon, yes. but <laughs> you leave children and youth services and all the adult services are under health, but there's no, health can't talk to, it seems like there's no collaboration between sectors at all, ever. Yeah. And it just makes no sense to me. It's a youth or a young person and just let's all collaborate to get what this person needs. And why can't it just happen? Why are they like, oh no, that's that's now um, the Ministry of Health and we're this ministry and we can't work together and it's just ridiculous. Well, th- that's been a long running issue and generally speaking uh-huh. with government is that, you know, it kind of, all of our ministries kind of work in silos uh-huh. where we as frontline workers, we see that there's that clear link uh-huh. and, you know, how beneficial would it be for the young people using those services to have, you know, the ministries kind of communicating with each other. Exactly. Exactly. It just... I just, it's not rocket science. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but they make it seem impossible. They ju- I just don't know why, why it can't happen. I'm sure there is, you know, some logistics that have to mm-hmm. go on with that. Mm-hmm. But I've always been a believer that there is a way to everything. We just haven't found it yet. Yes, yes, for sure. And for me, it's always been, you know, you know, I'm very youth centered and mm-hmm. child centered. Mm-hmm everything that I've always done, and I'm sure it's the same with you, has always been, you know, the young person's at the center of our, you know, conversation. Yeah. And everything we do is somehow impacting them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, you know, the ministries are at that space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, m- maybe they don't have the privilege to be at that space. I don't space. think they do. I think there's so much yeah. overhead and political push, <laughs> yes, and red tape and policy and whatever you want to call it that they... Yeah, and, and they're reactive. Yeah. You know, everything is a reaction to something that's happened, and then a new policy comes down. And 
then you've got to comply to that. And it just seems everything is so reactive yeah. rather than proactive. Because there's no money to be proactive. They're not going to give you money to be proactive. And, you know, I was just going to say that, you know, you'd mentioned before that, you know, one of the gaps is the funding. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here we are saying, you know, how great would it be to have this middle point, you know, house for, you know, residential programming. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is, you know, where's the funding going to come for that? I know. I right? Know. And, you know, I, I think truly it's changing the age where a young person can stay in mm-hmm. a residential mm-hmm. home, at least. I think that's the beginning point. I yeah. think that's just a Band-Aid solution, to be mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. I think we have to start moving to that space of somehow finding funding mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to have this middle point yeah. residential program, yeah. whatever it would be called. But unfortunately, social services is so taboo a lot of the time in the business world feels why are we going to put more money into that you know all my taxes are going to this um this service when parents should just be looking after their children and why that it just and the politicians get more bang for their buck by offering buck a beer rather than than putting more money to social (laughs) services because that doesn't get votes right you know i when i was in you know gmba at humber Mm -hmm. We were learning about, you know, kind of like the golden era of social services. Mm-hmm. And I think it was in the 70s mm-hmm. or something like that, where, you know, all this funding went into social services. And, yeah. you know, it hasn't been great since then, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. for me, you know, hearing about that, hearing like all this funding was going to social services then, you and know. And they could be so creative. Yeah. You know, they had they had so little overhead and restrictions. And I mean, yeah. some of their decisions may not have been. <laughs> it's a great, yes. Yeah. But to have that freedom, I mean, I guess though on the flip side, people always abuse that. So for sure, yeah, for sure. Um, is there anything else you want to say about the gaps? Um, I was just looking at an article in the Star today, and you know, it's it's so upsetting that there were twelve twelve youth between two thousand and fourteen and two thousand and seventeen that died in residential care yeah and eight of them were by suicide um you know to some extent we can't even keep kids alive sometimes, yeah you know and but, that's just that's sickening it's awful yeah it, it for me it's very disheartening because mm-hmm. you know the system's failing it is it really you is. know and I have heard of the horror stories of residential program mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there are programs out there that are not the greatest group homes mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. because there's burnout mm-hmm. and you know the, the staff turnover rate is either too much where youth are not able to build relationships mm-hmm. or you get complacency in an agency yeah. right yeah and the programs are not being further developed or they're using older methods mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. in you know social services that really are not they're not staying current yeah they're mm-hmm. not staying current um I do have to say, you know, since my time working here at Airbond, you know, th- this is one of the better homes. Mm. I have... I'd like to think so. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, it, and it's hard to explain for, you know, the listeners, mm-hmm. but th- there, there's a different energy that... Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not saying that because I just work here, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, but it, there's a certain energy that I've kind of gotten within this house. And, you know, I think one of our girls you know at our one of the meetings we're having with them was saying that like we're kind of like a family Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. 
And, you know, like, how great is that to yes. hear, right? Yes. And, you know, I just wish that more residential programs were kind of mm-hmm. positive like that, you know, yeah. kind of building yeah. that up. It's, it's hard. I mean, it's, you try to make it as home-like um, and a safe, comfortable environment for them as you can, but it's still, they're coming here under such difficult circumstances. Right. Um that no one's ever excited about living in residential treatment. And I can't imagine, you know, as empathetic as you try to be, I can't imagine what that experience must be like mm-hmm. for them. And, um, and it really, this, this is their home. It's not our home. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have the privilege to work here with them, but it's their home in a way we're their guests. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a different way of trying to look at residential treatment, but, um, yeah, we need to, and to just say, again, I can't remember who referred to that in that article, but to um, to try to put the blame on other people as to why the uh, these you've died, I think it's beyond that. You know, we as a sector need to just figure yeah. out what's going on. We need to do better. Happening. We do. Yeah. We do need to do better. I mean, there's always going to be those youth that no matter how hard you try, somehow... You know, there's only so much you can do, but we, we do. We have to work harder. We definitely do. Um, and I, I just thought of something yeah, else in yeah, terms for of gaps, sure. too, is I think sometimes we need to be more creative in the programming. I think youth come into now with, um, you know, a, they come in with complex issues and... You can't, like you mentioned at one point a few minutes ago, you can't use your old ways of dealing with them. Yeah. You know, if, if you're not, if there's some reason the program's not working for them, you need to figure out what you can do differently too. Not just say the program's not working for you. I know sometimes we may do that for a little too long. <laughs> <laughs> but like we said, it may have taken 17 or 18 years of trauma to get where they are now. Yeah. And it's not going to change within yeah. two months, three months. You know what I mean? It's, it's just not going to It's going to take time. And it I, does. I, I think sometimes as, you know, people that work with young people, mm-hmm. we want to see that immediate change mm-hmm. or we just, you know, we think that this is the best path for them. And we just want to pick them up and just put them on that path. path. Yeah. But, you know, I've come to realize that if the youth is not ready, mm-hmm. like that's a space that they're at yeah. and we have to kind of be creative in our work with mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. to guide them or let them at least know that there's different paths that they can yeah. take, but, you know, always kind of be there to support them and mm-hmm. whatever decision they, they make. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully it's the right decision. healthy yeah. decision. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, speaking about, you know, being creative, mm-hmm. that kind of was just great. Cause it was a good streamline into my next question. How do you know a youth is benefiting from a residential program? And what does that look like? Um, it's interesting cause it's, I think it's different for everybody. I mean, there's society's way of measuring success, right. you know, I like they'll think, Oh, are they, um, a productive so-called member of society are they have they graduated high school are they in post-secondary you know do they have a job um and our youth sometimes aren't able to do uh any of those things you know if they especially ones that experience um mental health struggles um you know sometimes 
the uh, success may look like them just forming, being able to form therapeutic relationships and to take the risk to do that, especially if they've been, every relationship they've had has not been a trusting, validating one. Some of them probably have never had a trusting, validating relationship. So why should they take that risk um, and try to do that? So just forming a relationship may be a way. And sometimes I think we've had youth leave and we've like, what if they got out of this program? What did they get? Right. And sometimes that's about it. We may say they've started to form relationships mm-hmm. and that's the first time they were able to do that. And that's pretty big. Um, again, there's the concrete ones like life skill development. They may leave with, um, you know, more daily management, life or life management skills, more skills in terms of um, financial literacy, employment, maybe they've graduated high school, maybe they're going on to post-secondary. But again, the youth that can't do that, maybe success looks like they're able to get out of bed in the morning now. They're not self-harming every day where that's what they were doing before. Um, Maybe we use a harm reduction model. Maybe now they're only using drugs four times a week when Mm -hmm. they were doing it four times a day before. You know, success, I think, looks different for everybody. But I think other sectors have a hard time of seeing that because everything is now, you got to show proof. You got to show proof. So it's. And that's where funding becomes an issue again. Uh uh (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. We're running out of time. um, But I just want to ask you two more questions. Okay. Um, Since you're a CYW, Uh I'm going to ask you a reflective question. And then I'll ask you my trademark question. The first one is, what has been the most important lesson you've learned in your career so far? Probably that every youth is different. That um, they all come in with different stories, different strengths, um, and you like you can't work with them all the same. It's it's again. I feel like I've mentioned it a few times, but being creative with your right. Um, programming and being very client focused and individualized and having different programs for everyone and not expecting youth to um, fit into your program you have to I think you have to fit your program around them to meet their needs Um, and that every behavior represents a need Um, I feel that's huge if you flip it I mean so many times you hear people saying, oh, that youth is manipulative, that youth is attention-seeking. Mm-hmm. And I like to challenge that thought and say, okay, but what need is that meeting? Mm-hmm. Why are they, regardless of what they're presenting, it's still presenting their mental health. And they're doing it for a reason. And we need to figure out what that reason is and provide a need or right. help them gain some insight into why they're doing that. Um, and again, in terms of client-centered and being individualized, I guess always asking whose need is this meeting and that every one of our interventions, like you mentioned earlier, right. should be should have impact on the youth and not be meeting anyone else's need. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh-huh. This is my famous, become my famous question. <laughs> <laughs> what does advocacy mean to you? It's funny, as I thought about this question, the first it's kind of funny and it's sad. The first word that came to my mind was fight. Mm-hmm. I guess it's in this field so often it feels like in order to advocate for youth, or these youth, it feels like you have to fight. It feels right. like you have to fight across sectors. It feels like you have to sometimes fight for funding. <laughs> it feels like you have to fight to get their needs met, to get their educational needs met, to get them the services they need. Like another gap in services has 
the lack of, um, you know, psychiatry right. and intensive services they may need. Um, and I guess you're also fighting um, to be a voice for them, but also to give them the opportunity to have a voice and know they have a voice and give them the skills for them to be able to use that voice and uh, be heard. And I guess as a parent as well, when I think of advocacy, I think of, I often think, would I do this for my own kids or what would I do if this was my own kid? And that makes you, in a way, right or wrong, but makes you want to fight the fight more. Like if this was my own youth, my own kid, I would be doing A, B, C, D. Like I'd be doing everything I could to advocate for this youth. So we as workers need to do the same, I think. I, you know, one of, and we're running over time, but me and you always run over time when uh-huh. we talk anyways. Um, someone I used to work with, you know, had said, and she was senior management and said, you know, you have to think of your programming in a sense of how would you treat your own kids? Uh-huh. What would you do for your uh-huh. own kids? Right. Uh-huh. So I, it, it's true. I, I agree with that. Um, or even someone you love. Like yes. even if you don't have your own children, it yes. doesn't make you less of a impactful CYW or CYC. Yeah, for sure. Or someone you love or someone you care about, I think. Yeah. I would agree too. Yeah. We're just about to wrap up. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to say before we end the conversation? Um, There was another question that you didn't ask that I... That you want to go for? Kind of about um, advice to new students. Yeah. And I guess I just, I did want to mention a little bit about self-care. And just how important that is, because you can really, and and I think too, if this work ever stops affecting you to the point where you don't need to be aware of self-care, then you probably shouldn't be doing the work. Like if you ever lose, if it ever loses impact for you and you're not feeling the work anymore, then it's time to stop. So it's really important for self-care. I think that's a great way to end, because I believe in (laughs) (laughs) self-care. Um, thank you again for taking the time out to speak with me. I enjoyed um, it, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was fun, wasn't it? It was, it was. <laughs> Hopefully we'll have um, you and the ED of Airborne on the next episode to talk about the therapeutic and life skill program that mm-hmm. we do here, because mm-hmm. um, I think it's very unique. Um, your Right to Speak will be posted on the second Wednesday of every month. Uh, thank you again for taking the time out to speak with me. If you're a child youth that would like to be on the show, or if you have a topic that you think we should be talking about, please email me at yourrighttospeak at gmail.com. That's Y-O-U-R-R-I-G-H-T-T-O-S-P-E-A-K at G-M-A-I-L dot C-O-M. Let's raise awareness together. Thank you.